Hi, I'm Laurel. And I'm Akina. And this is Jane Austen Culture Night. In this week's episode, you will find nuts, nuts, and more nuts. There will be spoilers and maybe some cursing. This week, we're reading chapters 9 and 10 in Persuasion. Chapter 9 and 10, they're not as crazy as 7 and 8, but some pretty intense things end up happening towards the end. It is a little bit more of a slow burn. Yeah, but there's a lot of like little moments that we get get stuff. Yeah, so many little things that you just stumble into and then you're like, oh shit. (laughs) Or at least me when I'm rereading it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So Captain Wentworth is still there staying at um, Kellynch, which I was reading these chapters and I was like, oh, yeah, he's staying at her house. Like, (laughs) that's crazy. Like, just just the fact of her, like, knowing that he's there, like, at her house, like he could walk into what is was her room like. Oh, just knowing that is yeah, <laughs> extreme <like>, agitation. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like a few years ago, if they actually gotten married, that would have been like his home essentially. And then it's like, yeah, he's like, it's like his Airbnb now. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. So weird for, for all both of them. of them. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like just down the road. Like a couple, like it seems like I think about two miles down the road mm-hmm. at Upper Cross. And it seems like even though he's sleeping at her house, he's spending like almost every day. Yeah. He comes over every day to visit the Musgroves. Yeah. 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 She's she's begged off a few times going up there, like saying she had a headache. And so they're not really seeing each other that much. Um but she and she keeps hearing account, you know, that she keeps hearing accounts from people and the family is starting to speculate that uh, Wentworth it would be a good match for one of the daughters, Henrietta or Louisa. And they're trying to figure out which one he likes. And they really like him. Like everybody's like, oh, he's so great. We would love him to marry one of the girls. Yeah, it seems like the parents of the girls are very hands off. They're like, yeah. whatever you want to do. Like, they're definitely not controlling the way Lady Russell right. and Sir Walter is. They're just like, you know, um, whoever he wants to marry, that's fine. Um, they don't even seem to be thinking of it that much. It's more of a Charles and Mary are like... Um, speculating about who he wants to marry but uh it says captain wentworth keeps showing up because the older couple are so hospitable and the younger ones are so agreeable which i thought was kind of sweet um Mm -hmm. we also find out that henrietta who i think is the elder one of the two Mm -hmm. girls that she seems to have been maybe engaged or like inching towards engagement 
with their other cousin or their cousin, um, Charles Hader. Yes. Oh, and I completely forgot about him. And when his (laughs) name popped up, I just like so much cringe, like, (laughs) like on his behalf. Yeah. Like he's not, he's not like a Mr. Collins. He seems like a sweet guy. Yeah. But he just like, these chapters are so unkind to him. Yeah. So Charles Hader is the eldest son of, uh, I don't know who's related Mrs. to Musgrove's Mrs. Sister. Musgrove's sister. Okay. So Mrs. Musgrove's sister is married to Mr. Hader, who they have like a big farm or something. Yeah, 250 yeah. acres. And it's just like on the other side of the hill from them. So yeah. it's like, if it wasn't the Musgroves around, they would probably be like, or, you know, Anne's yeah. family. They would be like a pretty big deal. But right. they say... um the family isn't like as well educated and yeah. the money they have really doesn't compare to the Musgroves or especially the Elliots. Well, the Elliots right. really don't have any money if you come to think of it that way, but <laughs> they're just like not at the same class level. Right. But it seems like Mrs. Musgrove and her sister and their families like don't give a shit about that at yeah, all. They're, they're very n- close. They yeah. seem to like, uh, yeah, hang out with each other a lot. And Charles Hader and Henrietta have sort of like grown up together and naturally uh, sort of formed this bond. And uh, they've also said that he, he's the eldest son. And so he's actually had education. Like he's gone to yes. gone away to school to study. And um, he's going to inherit the farm one day. And he's, he's becoming a curate. So he's going to get the... Yeah. A living with the curacy at Uppercross. And so um, there's a lot of things going for him. And they and everybody just generally seems to like him. They're like, hey, he's a good guy. Um, you know, he may not have he may not have like the best title or whatever, but like he's a good guy. And they think like if she if she really likes him, then that's cool. They should get married. Except for Mary. Yeah. <laughs> The sister-in-law Mary is very upset about this, but we actually see, like I said, like some of the kind of like the sweetest parents of all, like Jane Austen's books are, I feel like the elder Musgroves, because there's a quote from his Musgrove where she says like, like she's just talking to her husband. She's not like saying this to anyone else, which would be more improper, but she's like, you know, it's not the best match for Henrietta. Like she could, it's not something that will bring her into like a higher sphere in the class system. Right. But like, you know, if she's happy, then like, this is fine. And we're happy for her. And you know, that's all we care about and that she's like taken care of and happy, which is just sweet and probably like bare minimum of parenting, but you know, no one seems to clear that hurdle in these books. So Anyway, yeah. yeah, like you said, Mary is fucking pissed that like she might be related now by marriage or actually, well, they were already cousins of her husband. But anyway, that she's really pissed that they yeah. might get married. Yeah, because she because it's going to look bad on her to have such relatives and in even even closer relation, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And she thinks it's a very improper match. 
Yeah, so she, like, complains about it. She talks with her brother over, like, breakfast. Oh, no, sorry. Marion talks to her husband, husband, Charles. Who is also named Charles. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, they talk over breakfast about how, like, that, you know, whether Captain Wentworth is going to want to marry Henrietta or Louisa. And Marion kind of hopes that... Captain Wentworth will want to marry Henrietta so that Henrietta spurns Charles Hayter, her cousin. Right. And Charles, Mary's husband, is like, no, Henrietta should marry Charles Hayter. He's a good person. He likes her. Like, he has land. Like, you're you're totally downplaying, like, all of his attributes and um, Captain Wentworth can marry Louisa, and then she'll have a ton of money, and everything will be great. And that's right. what I really want. And then they yeah. get really mad at each other, and then they want Anne to tell them which one she thinks will get married to. But then they're also like, well, Anne, you weren't there at, like, the dinner last night, so you don't even, like, I, we wish you were there so you could, like, adjudicate for us. Right. But Anne had, quote-unquote, a headache. Um, and also her nephew with the broken collarbone was still like a little bit sick. Mm-hmm. And so she had begged off um, spending time with everyone. Yes. But we'll see soon that like she's not able to use that excuse so much anymore. Right. <laughs> Is it just after breakfast or maybe another time like. She's she's with her nephew, like, on the ground floor. Um, like, he's her nephew is lying on the sofa, and she's taking care of him. And just Captain Wentworth just, like, barges into the room. Yes. Oh. Yes. <laughs> it, it's very, and, like, oh, uh, he's looking for... Louisa and Henrietta or something Mm -hmm. and she's like oh they're upstairs and it's like really awkward and uh yeah yeah she's like oh you know he thought he was just like gonna barge in on like a whole party he didn't think he would just find Anne alone and so um she's like yeah they'll be down in a minute they're just like getting something with my sister and so they're just like waiting awkwardly um while she's like really fussing over her nephew so she doesn't have to like make conversation with him and i think he's like trying to read a newspaper or look out the window and then she can hear someone walk down the hall and she's like oh good someone else is gonna come and then they'll save us but who fucking appears um charles Hayter, the cousin and he is very aware that like he was gone for a couple weeks he comes back um, and all of a sudden Henrietta is like not as flirty with him. Yeah. And, he, and he's hearing dinner. about how everybody loves Captain Wentworth yeah. and he's very aware of what's happening here. Yeah. It seems like Captain Wentworth is not aware of the effect he's had on the yes. girls, but, yeah. um, Charles Hayter is. And so yeah. he is very awkward. Captain Wentworth, it seems like, wants to talk to Charles. Yeah, and Charles he's just standing. Like, put, yeah. 
Oh my God, we'll explain <laughs> Captain Wentworth is standing by the window and then Charles Hayter comes in and uh, Captain Wentworth like comes away from the window and like goes over to him like to be friendly and say hello and talk. And then Charles just sits down with the newspaper and like <laughs> ignores him. And I was like, okay. Yeah. 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 It's um really awkward and it get it's just like even yeah, it's just so much worse. And then okay. Anne is just like aware of all the feelings of everyone. Yeah. Again, ultimate church girl without like <laughs> And like has no power hyper, to do anything. Hyper awareness. Her antennas yeah. are up everywhere. Yeah, yeah. She has also has no power, like a church girl, to like do anything really. Yeah. And then a, another person comes in, but this time it's a toddler. So one of Mary and Charles's littler children, and he wants to poke at his sick older brother. He wants Anne's attention. He just mm-hmm. like. He's trying to climb over Anne while she's taking care of um, the sick baby Charles. So there's uh, th- or no, <laughs> there's Charles isn't Charles. a baby. He's the older one. He's the but, older you one. Know, but the yeah, child. there's three Char- There's three oh men named God. Charles. In this. I was looking at my book trying to figure out something, and I just like saw all the Charleses on this page, and I was just like, this is a little confusing. Like maybe it's really good that we have like. A million names now that people use and like, you know, Brittany spelled B-R-I-T-T-N-E-I-G-H <laughs> stuff. So at least we can tell people apart. This yeah. is wild. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so little baby Walter is yes. like just pulling at her while, and she's saying like, can you please stop? I'm trying to take care of your older brother, which, you know probably any younger sibling will know that doesn't make them stop ever right, right. <laughs> um and then the cousin charles hater is like come here walter your aunt told you to stop and he's like trying to intervene and keep in mind like he's a pretty close family member he like he just expects that the baby will listen to him mm-hmm. and he doesn't and then all of a sudden, what happens? Anne's just sitting there. What happens, Laurel? Oh, my God. Captain Wentworth just silently comes over and, like, picks up baby Walter and, like, gets him off of her. And and Anne's just like, oh, he came to my rescue. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's like. I feel like there's that moment and then there's another moment later on where she's yeah. starting to, she's like, these are the real first interactions besides their like two second introduction where they like really get just like a very f- quick interaction between the two of them after yeah. these eight years apart. And so you know that for a long time after she's going to be dissecting this. Yeah, there's all of these moments where um, he's acting very, like, warm and friendly or, like, doing something nice for her. And she's, like, doesn't know how to feel about it because she's, like, grateful yeah. for it. But and And it shows, like, what a nice person he is. But she's, like... I don't think he's forgiven me and I don't know like there's like she can't tell what his actual feelings are 
There's just like a cold kindness behind it. Like he doesn't talk to them. He doesn't say, right. here, Miss Anne, let me, Miss Elliot, let me help you. Or here, um, or like, Walter, let's go over here and look at, yeah. you know, she's not talking. He just silently takes care of the situation. So right. it's not any real warmth behind it, but it is a kindness. Yeah. And so it's like, to me, reading this, I felt like, you know, it's a reminder to Anne of like how much of a good person he is, which is a painful reminder because it's like, oh, I lost him. I let him go. And he's a really, you know, and he's still being kind in some ways. He's like yeah. coming to my aid or he's doing these things. So, yeah, it's it's this, you know. Anne seems to kind of like freeze up and she like doesn't know what to do in these moments. Yeah. Yeah. She just feels very, very awkward. Um, and then, so she, from then on, oh, then the, the chapter nine ends with like Charles Hayter getting kind of irritated at his nephew and saying like, or his little cousin and said like, I, you know, I told you not to tease your aunt yeah. and like, why didn't you listen to me? And well, like, and it's also because like Captain Wentworth yeah. went in there and actually did the thing. And then then Charles feels like he was he, he was like overshadowed again oh by Captain God. Wentworth, who went in there and saved the day. So he's like, ah. <laughs> I just feel so bad for Charles Hayter. It's like he was away. I think he was doing his job. He is a yeah. curate of like a small town, like six miles away. So he was yeah. gone for like a week or two. And then he comes back and like everything has changed. And yeah, he comes back and there's this, there's this rich, handsome sailor. <laughs> yeah. And like, no one really also like, it just totally reminds me of the matching because it's like there's no one has that much agency and he can't just like ask what people are really feeling because right. it's like very delicate. And so there's like not many avenues for him to like kind of figure out what's going on. And Yeah. And it seems ugh. like it. it seems like they weren't actually engaged. It was just like an attachment forming. Yeah. Like there's no... You know, the courtship period, it's not like, hey, we're boyfriend and girlfriend and and that's official. And then you moved. It's it's like <laughs> unless you're engaged, it's like. Yeah, yeah, it's um, but it's like he just kind of has to read these tea leaves, which the tea leaves are essentially that. Um, so Charles Hayter, like we said, is a curate of like this very small a village nearby but there's he has like different um patrons who are like maybe gonna buy him a bigger curacy which would bring in more money and one of them would be the upper cross curate position and so normally he comes to upper cross and he will sit down with Henrietta and tell her all the next steps that have to happen where the older curate is going to maybe retire. And then like, and he just talked to him and there's like maybe a timeline and like, but the curate has held the position for four decades and like, so doesn't want to let go so easily. So it seems like there's this whole drama about like where he's going. Right. 
And normally he comes and sits and tells Henrietta everything about it. And she's very interested in it. And she'll like always ask follow-up questions whenever she sees him. And then he like comes in and like tries to bring up this subject. And it's like, no one cares. Like he try, like Henrietta yeah. is just like totally disinterested. And then like he tries to talk to Louisa and she just like kind of walks away. And it's just... Oh, it's so embarrassing. I feel like there's something about it. I just get this like secondhand embarrassment from him. Oh, I feel for him. My impression was that him getting the curacy at Uppercross would mean that he would have a better living and he would be close by and then he would be in a position to actually like have an official engagement and like get married that's so the sense that, i would yeah so that that's like what they were working towards and her excitement about him getting this position was like yeah oh we can get engaged you know yeah. we can get married yeah yeah it's like someone coming home or like someone talking to you about like you know this new um you know if they get a raise then they can like get if they get this promotion, then they can get a raise and then they can also afford to move out of their parents' house. Yeah. And like, you know what this means? That means like we could move in together, you know, yeah. that like maybe kind of hinted about. Or right. Talked about. Yeah. So it's like definitely something they've been invested in together, Charles and Henrietta. And then all of a sudden she's just not interested. Yeah. And he's like, no one will listen to me talk about the old curate who needs to retire. Yeah. so then after a few days of him like coming around he kind of gives up he's like forget this and he they don't see him for a few days he stays home charles hater charles hater yes yeah and then um uh the musgroves come over again with wentworth and um they all want to go for a walk yeah and so they all and Anne comes too. they all end up going for this long walk stroll so Charles Musgrove and Mary and Louisa and Henrietta and Captain Wentworth and Anne so they're all on this long walk together and like no one wanted to no one actually wanted Mary and Anne well they kind of wanted Anne but it was just like the Miss Musgrove stopped by And they were like, oh, we're going to go on a very long walk. You wouldn't really want to come with us. It's too long. Yeah. And you're so delicate, Mary. And Mary was like, I'm not delicate. Why would they say that? I'm like, I can go on a long walk. And so she like bullied her way into this walk. And then, of course, like because Mary's going, then they then Anne had to come, too. And then they met the men. And they wanted to go on a walk. And poor Anne is just, like, not really up to these long walks. She is not an Elizabeth Bennet. She's, like... No. (laughs) Elizabeth Bennet, but, like, with asthma or something. She's just, like... She's, you know, a frail old (laughs) 28-year-old. She's not like these young girls. She's not up for hiking. Yeah. Dragging her petticoats through the mud. (laughs) And it seems like, so Charles is, like, walking with um, her and Mary, Charles, Mary's husband. Um, But Mary complains a lot, and Charles is always, like, looking at the nature and, like, Mm -hmm. you know, breaking off nettles, which, 
And then, like, at one point, he drops their arms to, like, because I think Aeon was kind of leaning on him. And at one point, yeah. he just, like, drops them to go chase after a weasel. Yeah. And you're just like, are you four? <laughs> well, he Mary- sounds like a sweet guy, but, you know. I know. Well, I think that was after. That was a little bit after. That's but- a little bit later because then he's annoyed at Mary, too. About- he's also annoyed at Mary because they're just walking and walking and walking. And all of a sudden, uh, they realize they're- that they're yeah. at Winthrop, which is where yes. Charles Hayter lives. Yeah. And so... um so Charles Musgrove is like, oh, I got to go stop in and say hi to my aunt. Let's go visit. And um, Henrietta feels a little awkward because she's like, oh, we haven't seen him for a few days and he's not outside. Maybe we should just turn around. And um, but Charles wants to go. And anyway, and Mary doesn't want to go at all. Um, so they kind of get in an argument. And Mary's like, no, I'm staying here. I will not go. And um, so Charles and Henrietta end up going and everybody else kind of is just sitting and waiting and they're like uh, wandering around. So Mary, Mary sits um, and Louisa and Captain Wentworth kind of go off together and Anne is sort of around and she ends and she ends up um, eavesdropping on. Yeah. Captain Wentworth and Louisa. Yeah, she like she, there's like a big hedge, and Anna's just been like trying her hardest to keep up with everyone, and then like find places to sit while yeah. they're waiting for other there for Charles and Henrietta to come back from calling on their cousins. And oh my god, I feel like when I was a little kid and you would go to the museum and we would run ahead, my brother and I when we were little would run ahead and find you know, a room at the museum with a sofa on it and you would just mm-hmm. like run and try and sit there for as long as possible because my mom's trips to the museums would take hours and so any sofa was like just like this welcome refuge yeah. from like walking <laughs> and our legs falling off Anyway, so I just feel like Anne is just like searching for any place to sit and she finds she finally finds a place. And then, you know, every every time she and Mary find a place to sit, Mary decides she wants to go somewhere else and will get up and move somewhere else. So I'm saying this is not Anne's fault at all, but she finally gets like a, a few moments to herself on this like flat rock. And then she was sitting there and then behind her, she can hear in the hedges. Oh, Captain Wentworth and Louisa are coming. And they end up talking about, Louisa starts talking about how Henrietta was so like hesitant to go see Charles and, and Louisa's like, um, yeah, I persuaded Henrietta to go. Like, I don't know why she's being so weird. Like, if you love someone, you should, you shouldn't let anybody stop you. And Louisa's going on about this. And Captain Wentworth loves this. He's like, yes, that's very true. You shouldn't let anybody persuade you otherwise. I can see that you have a very firm, firm yes. mind. You're very resolute. He, he th- He's like praising this. And he goes on on this like long speech. This weird ass speech. 
<laughs> it's like an acorn or something yeah he picks up they just call it a nut at some point he mentions hazelnuts but i'm not sure if that's the nut he's holding yeah but i'm like Kevin Wentworth, are you a squirrel <laughs> he talks about these nuts for like 30 minutes he's just like it's because it seems like it's autumn okay so yes it is I'll, it's november yeah beautiful november day yeah, and so that's like the whole earlier when they were talking about starting to go on the walk, Anne was like just trying to think of all the poems she liked about yes. the autumn. But then, she, like, every time she was thinking about this, like, you know, a burst of laughter from whatever Captain Wentworth said, you know, like she would just kept getting interrupted by Louisa and Henrietta just like laughing at whatever Captain Wentworth said or just talking kind of loudly. Yeah. And so it's like kind of happening again, but this time Captain Wentworth is going on a super long tangent about how this nut that he's <laughs> holding is precious and it has no blemishes on this nut. Yes. And it survived the spring and the summer and now it's in the November of its life and it's fallen and it's completed its journey and it's still unblemished and that's a sign of its nutty character yes it's strength while all of its all of its other brethren have been trampled underfoot he says <laughs> like this this nut persevered <laughs> and he's like making it a metaphor to compare it to like the Louisa. type of woman he would be interested in <laughs> Yeah, it's a weird it's a weird metaphor, but uh she eats it up. And oh, Louisa eats that nut. Yeah. <laughs> um and Anne is overhearing all of this. Yeah, uh, she's fucking petrified that Mary will just like walk up and say something loud and like she'll be found out or they'll yeah. somehow hear her. But she just listens to them talk about the nut metaphor for so long. <laughs> like, um, but then the other, but then she also overhears. Um, Louisa starts talking about <gasps> how yes. Charles asked Aunt. They she starts talking about Mary, and they're like, "Oh, we don't really like Mary. We wish that Charles had married Anne instead." You know, Charles proposed to Anne first. And then Captain Wendler was like, what? When did that happen? And she's like, oh, I don't remember exactly when because I was away. And she's just like talking. Like, and But he's like, what? It, so she said no. And she's like, yeah, we think it was Lady Russell. And she said it was, you know, probably um, convinced her not to say it. And then uh, so so he finds out about this. Um and Anne's overhearing this all. And and then uh, I think Charles comes back right after this or somehow they move. Oh, she it just says as soon as she could, she left and went after Mary. So, like, I guess she at some point was able to get away without them noticing or maybe they moved away. It doesn't really say. Yeah, it seems like they kind of moved away and then she went and found Mary and then um then the four of them kind of met up and then Charles and Henrietta return and Charles Hader was with them. Yes. And it seems pretty obvious 
that with Charles Hader around that something has changed between him and Henrietta and they seem to be at an, an understanding now. And Henrietta right. is only with Charles and um, they're very happy. Uh, and so th- he's going to walk back to Upper Cross with them. And that's when like Charles is like super mad at Mary with for not coming with them. And right. Is like chasing a literal weasel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so Anne is like, oh, okay, I see. Henrietta is, you know, gonna stay with Charles Hayter, and now Captain Wentworth is is gonna be with Louisa. Like, yeah. This is, you know, she can sort of put the put the clues together. Um, but then as they're walking on their way back, um, the Crofts come up in their carriage and um, they offer a ride. They're like, oh, does anybody need a ride? And they all decline. They're like, no, no, we're fine. Because it's a small carriage. You could really only fit like one other person in it. At the most. It seems like it's most. a carriage built for two. Yeah. Um, but they're like, a lady, we could probably fit another woman. And the, it seems like Admiral Croft and... Uh, Mrs. Croft. Yeah, they're like, oh, we could definitely squeeze one more up in. And the younger girls are like, fine to keep walking. Mary yeah. should probably, Mary is exhausted, but then she's like, I don't Does, know. She doesn't she's want mad to, for some reason. She doesn't want to get in a squeeze in a carriage that's just a one horse carriage. She's too yeah. good for it. She's like, too good. <laughs> and no one even things to ask Anne and yeah but Captain Wentworth at once once everybody declines Captain Wentworth goes up and like whispers in his sister's ear and then after that she like goes to Anne and she's like Anne you must be so tired please come you have to come like we've got plenty of room we'll take you and then, you know, Mr. Croft, too. Like, yes, yes, Anne, you must let us. Yeah, like, they squeeze they won't take together. No for an answer. Yeah, yeah, they squeeze together to show that there's definitely room for her. And they're like, yeah, Mrs. Croft is just showing off. Like, are, she's just such a wonderful character. And this shows off yeah. that character so well where she's just like, come on. If, if we were all your size, we could fit more, like, four of us in here. Yeah. And, yeah, so they just yeah. like make room. We've got plenty of room. We gotta take you. Yeah, and they and won't it, take no for an answer. They and then, won't take no for. An and then answer. Captain Wentworth basically like helps her up into the carriage. He kind of just silently lifts her up, and it's yeah. so romantic. Uh, and then, um, oh god! And then Anne is just like in inner turmoil yeah. because again, she's like, here is this act of like uh chivalry from yes. him like he noticed my exhaustion and and he took it upon himself to like make sure i got in the carriage um but also like she's convinced that she says he could not forgive her but he could not be yeah. unfeeling and so this is like she's just like tormented by this that is so romantic like unforgiven but not unfeeling yeah oh <sighs> dude he's my favorite <laughs> because like the whole time she's like kind of watching 
all the group dynamics. Yeah. And she realizes pretty early on that he doesn't love Henrietta or Louisa yet. Yeah. And she also realizes that there's like a lot of flirting or like not like yeah flirting in a negative sense, but just like fun, friendly flirting between mm-hmm. Henrietta, Louisa and um, Captain Wentworth. But she realizes yeah. that it doesn't seem like on any side it's like extremely serious. Right. She thinks either of the girls could be in love with him, but she doesn't see the attachment on his side. And and she doesn't even I don't think she thinks that like she's like, yeah, she still has there's still a very strong possibility that someone might get married. Yeah. Or they would be okay to being married. But it's not like a serious love. Right. It's almost like a consolation, like because people get married all the time. Yeah. Without that serious attachment. It's just like, oh, yeah, Louisa would make a good wife and they they could probably be happy yeah. and fine together but Anne knows that it's not the same attachment that they had together like she yeah. she can see that and so uh yeah it's just oh it's uh, yeah <laughs> and then she can also uh this also gives her an opportunity um to see miss mrs croft and her husband interact which yeah admiral croft and Mrs. Croft are so much like the aunt and uncle um, from Cheapside in Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> oh, the gardeners, yes. Yeah, yeah, where they're just like this lovely couple where you get to see like what a sweet, strong marriage is of mm-hmm. like two partners where like she talks about them um, driving the carriage together and avoiding yeah. um, the potholes and just thinking like, Oh, this is like probably good ma- metaphor for their live lives together, and yeah. Um, yeah, and like at different points, you can hear like Captain Wentworth talks about oh, like his sister and her husband, they're they're probably like out gallivanting around the um around the countryside in their like tiny little two seater carriage, and you know even if it gets overturned his sister is just fine and happy. Like, you know, she just like literally rolls with the punches. Yeah. Well, and this is the woman who goes sailing with her husband when she, whenever she can, she goes on the ship with him and they're like this adventurous couple. No children. No. I wonder if they have a dog or a oh, cat. Oh no, cats aren't usually allowed on ships, right? Or no, are they? I feel like there's so many like superstitions with sailors. <laughs> I feel like cats would be helpful on ships cuz don't would they be get helpful. rats and stuff? Yeah. Would, yeah. <laughs> Maybe they're fine. Um dogs wouldn't be good on ships. Maybe they might be fine too. Maybe. Maybe. But um I mean some dogs are mousers. Yeah. Uh but she, and this is after that super romantic speech by Mrs. Croft from the previous chapter, which I don't even know if we really got to, where she talks about how um, she is fine being on a ship, yeah. and that the one her worst her worst um, winter of all was the winter where she was separated from her husband, oh, and she yeah. had to spend the 
winter alone in Cork and the whole winter she was just sick, like literally sick with worry that something yeah. could happen to her husband and she wouldn't be there. And oh, they're Aww. like the most romantic. Yeah. I love them. And she has a great line from the last two chapters too, which uh, which after we ended, I was like, oh, we should have mentioned this in like our favorite lines where she says, I hate to hear you talking so like a fine gentleman and as if women were all fine ladies instead of rational creatures. We none of us expect to be in smooth water all our days. So good. <laughs> so good. Yeah. I love her so much. And she's like, Really, really well played. Oh, by Fiona Shaw in the mm. 1996 version. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that she does a great job of it. And then in the end, also, Anne thinks she can tell that Mrs. Croft doesn't super care about Henrietta or Louisa because at the Admiral is like, like, you know, I wonder if, you know, our Frederick, which is Captain Wentworth, is going to, like, which one he'll marry. He's probably going to marry one of them, right? Like, right. they're both really sweet girls. I can't even tell them apart. But, like, I'm sure that would be great. And, like, Mrs. Croft is like, yeah, they're very amiable girls or whatever she says. And But Anne can tell she's thinking, like, they're fine. They're just not, like for they're like are they actually good enough for captain wentworth right right yeah yeah she gets Uh. that inclination um and then but we also get uh a little bit of a a clue in the way that they're talking about how frederick needs to make up his mind yeah before this before it was clear that henrietta was going to go with charles they were like he needs to be careful and not like um, encourage both of them at the same time like because yeah. that would not be good that would look bad um, and he needs yeah. to like make up his mind if he's actually serious about wanting to marry one of them because you don't want to lead somebody on and like these situations can be very delicate you know yeah. especially when you can't just speak plainly <laughs> you have yeah. to have, use all of these little clues and stuff so um Anyway, that's a little bit of foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah. Anne, Anne was saying after watching, like, you know, all the dynamics of the whole group, you know, over different breakfasts and dinner, she was saying, like, everyone's fine. No one's feelings are super serious right now. But, like, if there's any, like, kind of thing to criticize, it is that, you know, Captain Wentworth is, like, kind of flirting with two sisters at the same time yeah which is they don't seem to mind it but like you know it's like maybe getting into dangerous territory yeah they're like don't yeah they're like okay i can see you know for in the beginning it's fine but at some point you need to like decide (laughs) decide yeah Yeah. but that's pretty much it they they drop her off back at the cottage she's home and uh, left to ruminate about, about nuts, about, about hazelnuts, and oh my god, strong character. It's funny. My dad used to always say, um, "So my name is Akina," but my dad, my dad said he made up my name, 
that it's like a family name for Aiken. Um, and that because Aiken is his middle name and he was like, Aiken is old English for Oak and you're strong like an Oak tree. And he would, he used to always raise his fist and like talk about Oak trees and like acorns and shit. And, uh, it just brought me back to that, like, oh yeah, there's this weird business about oak trees and strong. <laughs> it's funny because, like, I went um, on a road trip and found, and I went to the town that my uh, my family is from and saw like the historical museum. And apparently, Aiken doesn't come from the old English word for oak in our family it actually comes from a viking king oh so i was like oh all this time i thought <laughs> i'm should i have an affinity with oak trees and it's no it's no. nothing to do with that <laughs> there's some viking invader of scotland um but yeah anyway Anne has to think about her relationship with nuts and <laughs> what she is just her relationship like, with the nuts? <laughs> she just needs like a long time to like meditate and settle and think about like what just happened. And like, like you said, she's fairly sure that she's not forgiven. Like, it's not like he, like, you know, he hasn't said anything directly like no. bad about her, but this conversation about how he wants somebody who can't yeah. be easily persuaded is like very much a dig at her because yeah. that's what happened between the, them is that she was persuaded against uh, their marriage, even though they were in love. Yeah. And so he's still, she knows that he's still mad about that. I mean, like, he doesn't ever talk to her directly in a way right. that he is friendly with everyone else. Yes. He's, like, extremely, like, open. Like, I remember, like, all the girls and everyone in their family were just head over heels with him when they first met him because he said he wasn't shy at all. And he right. was super um, outgoing and kind and like a good listener yeah. and very much a people person. And has he said anything directly to Anne? Except he said like two where sentences. Where are the Musgrove? Where's are the Miss Musgroves? And you know, nice to meet you. When they were pretending that they had never really met before, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So to- it's like almost. It's like. It's like almost worse to Anne the the yes. the, the yeah. distance the the way that they have to act like there's so much distance between them and but they also like even if they wanted to be angry and talk to each other it's like how would they even do that because they like they can't because it's like not really okay for an unmarried couple to be seen together like it's like definitely church rules. I have a question. Okay. So this has always confused me. So um, so they end up at Winthrop, which is the Hader estate. And then there it's like obvious that like Louisa and um Henrietta are like arguing a bit together. Mm-hmm. And Louisa's kind of pushing Henrietta to go visit their cousins, but then Louisa doesn't go. Right. And she stays behind. Right. And so also like in the beginning, it was just supposed to be Henrietta and Louisa take a long walk and they'll probably go to Winthrop 
Or it was just supposed to be them going on a long walk. Right. And they everyone weren't. else ends up tagging along. Yeah. So, and then Henrietta in the end, like, doesn't really want to go to Winthrop. So, is it? Do you think, like, why, what was their motive? Do you think, because it seems like Henrietta was maybe deciding to go find her cousin Charles, her cousin boyfriend. (laughs) Go find him and, like, make up with him. Yeah, I so she's she's noticed that he hasn't been there in a few days. And so she's uh, a little bit like, oh, he's gone. Like maybe I think she's like on the fence about things. She's uh, not really sure. Um, And then and maybe feeling awkward because, you know, about her feelings and and the fact that she was like ignoring him while Captain Wentworth is there and um I always kind of whenever I read this scene I always felt like Charles was the one that led them there because mm. um cuz he's the first one to be like oh look we're at Winthrop <laughs> so I always kind of felt like he was the one who was like steering them in that direction um kind of as a way because he's really invested in his cousin charles marrying henrietta but there is a line that i caught this time that i don't think i've caught before where they kind of say like it was the girl's idea to go on this long walk and so they like kind of everyone just kind of agreed that or like it, it was like kind of like an unspoken understanding that they were guiding where they were going, where everyone was going. That's why I was just like, wait, like I'm pretty sure Louisa and Henrietta were just going to go visit their cousins, maybe see what was up, maybe have a reconcile. It's, it seems like they were going to reconcile with her and Charles. Um, but then she got cold feet when like everyone came and and Wentworth was right there and it just right. like got overwhelming. And then and Louisa so, later is talking to yeah. um, Captain Wentworth about how like she was persuading Henrietta to go and Yeah. 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 So you might be that, right that that's what happened. And and then earlier, um, uh, Anne actually notices that they're walking towards Winthrop. She, yes. She mentions, like, isn't this one of the ways to get to Winthrop? But nobody hears her. Yeah. Of course. Church girl. <laughs> Church girl know. moment number 142. Anne's always noticing everything and nobody's paying attention. No to one her. listens to her. Yeah. <laughs> it makes sense that they didn't want Mary to come along. Yes. Not just that they don't like Mary, but they know that Mary doesn't like Charles. And so they didn't want her to be there to like uh, have her talking bad about Charles Hayter and then making a big stink about not wanting to go, which all of those things happen. Which happens. Makes it it more awkward for Henrietta, even more embarrassing. Yeah, because like, could you imagine like... (laughs) 
Oh my you want to go see him, but now there's like a big crowd of people around and it's like obvious yeah. and you're oh, like, yeah, that's embarrassing. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. It's like, instead of just having your wing lady around, you yeah. have your like crazy sister-in-law and your brother and your other crush around and that's yeah. just like awkward central um, and they're just trying to play it off and make it look like oh we just we just happened to be near winthrop and she was hoping he'd be walking around outside so then they could just like say hi and um yeah they have to make it look like they're gonna go visit the aunt and it's just a casual thing yeah it's so funny like at the beginning um of chapter nine when Henrietta and Louisa are like walking by the cottage that Mary and Charles live and they like they stop to like chat through the window I just love this window as I've said Mm -hmm. before but like they're just chatting through the window and they're like kind of make a reference to their long walk and they try and give Marianne out they're like like you know, it's a long walk. You're probably, you're, you're so, you're such a delicate lady. You're not going to come with us. And then of right. course, like Mary's like, I have, I want to go. I'm not delicate at all. And then Mary goes upstairs to like change her shoes. And while she's upstairs with Anne, she's like, why do we have to go to this thing? I don't even want to go on a walk, but you know, they invited me. And so I have to like, yeah. isn't family so annoying? And you're just like, it does feel like a very realistic family moment where like people are politely invited and then like everything snowballs because people say yes, even though they don't want to go because they, they also want to be polite. And then, mm-hmm. and then you end up bringing your brother and his annoying wife to you <laughs> while you like kind of try and get back together with a guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Uh, and I I wonder too if Louisa is like a little bit extra encouraging Henrietta so that she gets her out of the way for her and Captain Wentworth. <laughs> I was wondering that Just a too. little bit. Just a tiny bit. Because I think she really does care about her sister and her yeah. sister's feelings and she knows that she likes Charles, but like it would also be kind of beneficial for herself too if she could have Captain Wentworth it's locked definitely down. Definitely like a cherry on top. Yes. Of the whole thing. Um yeah. I um definitely got that vibe from Louisa. Um, but yeah, I I'm so glad that Charles Hayter gets his moment to shine with Henrietta. Um, and that they get together in the end. Um, I, I just keep having like flashbacks to those like, uh, matching workshops. I think we've talked about in the church where it's like, you know, I think there were, so there were like a requirement to go to before the blessing where we would all, you know, you would. You would have to say that you've been to a matching workshop, which is yeah. basically like a three day workshop where you like listen to really annoying lectures, usually just about like holy like texts, but yeah. also like with like really outdated relationship advice. Yeah. Like very like 90s men are from Mars, women are from Venus yes. shit. Yes. Um, but like even worse because it's like somehow religious too. Um 
Anyway, you sometimes parents would come with their eligible teens or 20-year-olds. Yeah. And it would just be so awkward because, you know, people would be nice to you. And you would think, like, like is this dad making small talk with me because he wants to match his kid to me? Or is mm-hmm. it he just being nice? Or, like, what's happening here? And the dynamics are always shifting. And you think, like... Oh, wait, but like, I didn't go to STF. Like, I think we've talked about that before. So like, that means like, we're, I'm not as eligible as this other person who's been on STF for two years. And like, I just feel all of that when I see poor old Charles Hayter, like slowly drowning and then giving up when like we had, uh, we had, um, so there used to be a website. I think there still might be one. The matching website. I looked it up. I looked it up. (laughs) It is. Although, did you know that t that tparents.org is down? Oh, right I now? heard that just okay. today. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Interesting. Um, Interesting. The, yeah. The matching website was up a few months ago when I checked. So this was basically like a like a dating profile website, but it was only for like Unification Church members second generation and and it was really only for our parents it was really just for it was yeah we weren't going on there looking at profile so you would have to when you wanted to apply for the blessing you would have to like send in a picture and like write up a profile as if you were on like a dating site a dating app right this was before dating apps or this was when they were like only on only on the computer like e-harmony and it <laughs> yeah. was like yeah the like first ones 1999 version yeah so you'd have to send it i remember taking a photo for like my my matching like no. application and stuff Wait, did you did you go on bc candidates no i don't think i was okay. ever on the website well okay i don't think i was so you still had to like you still, you still to take a to picture. Do, hey, take a picture and do like an application and stuff. And I remember telling my parents, I was like, I, I, I said, if you put me on the website, I don't want to know about it. Like, don't tell me. I basically was like, I don't want to know. Um. So I remember going to, um, yeah, and it was like these pro. And a lot of times, the parents would like make the profiles for their kids. Oh yeah, right. And so they would be putting in all the information, uh, like about their child, and like, uh, and then they're looking at other profiles and just like, oh, this person looks good, and let's call their parents. And it was just the parents talking to each other. Yeah, it was just for parents. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So I remember going to one of these matching workshops. And yeah, you're there with um, all the other people your age, around your age. And there were some parents there and you'd be talking to people. And if, if you were talking to somebody of the opposite sex, you'd always feel like other people were watching you. You'd be have to be careful about like, uh, I don't want to give the wrong impression or are they watching me? It was so weird because you were trying to like just be friendly and like, get to know people or just like talk to people. And then, but it was always, there's this, you know, this thing hanging over everybody's head. But anyway, there was, I remember talking to this one guy and he, at one point he was like, are you on the matching website? Like, I think I saw your picture and I got really freaked out. I was like, I don't know. 
Because normally you knew, like there weren't that many people. So there are usually just like a few dozen on the site at yeah. a time. Yeah. Oh God, that's awkward. <laughs> so awkward. And then, yeah. And then, and then I was thinking, yeah, because then it was just the feeling of having like hundreds of people like reading your profile and like judging you based on all of this parents like your perspective in-laws yeah random criteria and and the criteria wasn't like what do you like to do for fun or like what it was like it was more like boring and religious than that it was like how many workshops have you gone to yes well like what like maybe maybe what you think your calling is or something. I don't know. It was it was just like bad. I wasn't ever on it, but I did get my picture taken and do like a more straightforward application for when there was gonna be like uh when there was gonna be like a matching by Reverend Moon. Yeah. Um and that was just I think like your address and like yeah, there was like nothing on there. That was just like your picture, how tall you are, how much you weigh. That's it. Um, but yeah, I feel for Charles Hader. It's rough. I also, um, the all that nut talk that I really <laughs> cannot get over. It's just like, I know we've talked about this a little bit before, especially with Pride and Prejudice of like, there, these people had such an obsession over personality types Mm. and stuff. And like, I think I went on this long tangent ages ago about like phrenology and like, different personalities and I feel like it comes up a little bit in this with this nut talk where he's like comparing Louisa to a nut again (laughs) and she's swooning over it yeah but it's just interesting to me how it feels like this milieu is like so involved with the idea of like character Mm-hmm. And about like different grades of people, mm-hmm. like, and like how the class is involved too, but just like they're always judging each other for like the like refinement and yes. uh, and refined qualities of their mind. And like, like Henrietta and Louisa are known as like silly girls who are sweet, right? And like, that's great. But they're not like Anne, who's, you know, who's like more refined in her personality or something. Yeah. And um, it's just funny because I, I was thinking about like how obsessed they are and how much this is talked about. And then I was just kind of thinking of today where, you know, there's all these like influencers on TikTok and Instagram and people are always like, there's so much self-help shit in our society. And I'm like, Oh, this is like kind of like, just like, is this like the updated version of like phrenology or something? Like I'm, (laughs) I'm on this like random group text of like different artists and someone just sent out like a YouTube video about like, 
types of people to avoid or some random bullshit. And I'm just like, oh, this sounds like very similar to this nut speech <laughs> where it's like some people are like are like this but we're empaths or whatever and yeah categorizing people into or even like like using enneagram or like yeah. the yes. myers-briggs tests and stuff like different the personality um i wonder you know because a lot of that comes from um young like the Carl Jung, yeah. like he had the different personality types and a lot of these things come out of that. But, the, but that I don't was know much if later. that time, yeah, I was going to say, but that's later. But yeah. um, no, I mean, this, astrology was around astrology although, long, long ago, but I don't this, know that it was in the, in the Western European culture at that time. But, um, um, yeah, this feels more like... If, if it was tenuously maybe tied to like, yeah, like I said, that whole like phrenology and eugenics thing, which was like yeah. kind of just about to start. Um, well, I think it also might be part of the this, I you know, the, the social class, the way the social structure yes. worked in England, where the I mean, you literally start at the top with the king and the queen, the royals who were ordained by God and like. There And then you have like the nobility and it's not um, and the, and then all the titles, it's like the people's character or their worth is is by their rank and their class in society. Exactly. exactly what I was thinking, I feel like that was my long winded way of thinking like, well, because I'm just like a socialist through and through i'm just like is this all about like class and yeah um because i feel like self-help stuff now feels very much toward feels very much like a band-aid to cover like society's ills which are Mm. much bigger problems like yeah like the problem with you not getting a raise is that you are not confident. You didn't manifest your raise. Right. You need to do something better. It's not yeah. that like you are in a fucked up system where you're not getting enough money to be able to live. Right. And therefore, you know, we're all jumping at these scraps in order to survive. And if we band together and realize that it's a systemic problem, we can actually, you know, make headway into solving it. But instead we're like divided because we're all told that like people have to, you know, if you're not thriving and, um, flourishing it's because of you yeah and there's something you're doing and so you need to like follow these influencers and buy these books and listen to these apps and podcasts and then you'll like have a fantastic life just like them and right um and i was just also thinking about that especially in terms i was just like reading about different abortion shenanigans that are happening right now and just thinking like Oh, yeah, the more the state can police our bodies, Mm -hmm. the more that we're, like, focused about that and just, like, we have to put all of our energy into protecting our own autonomy and that doesn't give us any other time to do anything else with our lives. Right. And, um, 
so this is about abortion is what I'm thinking. <laughs> like, I'm like, it's like, you know, they're just even like they're in this weird class system in England where it's like, you know, family members are of different stations and it's very complicated and weird. And it's like, no time it's just for like, a peasant's come. uprising because everybody's yeah. worried about their own social standing and the, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, and just I like think judging the, each other. I, yeah, I think the, the social hierarchy that's like very much set in place with like these titles and, and the assumption is that, you know, the higher the title, that that's somehow like tied to your character and your worth. Yeah. Um, but I think what Jane Austen does in, in most of her books is she like separates, she does work to separate those two because often the person with the highest title in the book is like the worst. (laughs) There is Sir Walter, like Sir Walter or, uh, Lady Catherine there, there, she shows them as egotistical. She shows them as critical as like, um, mean and, and judgmental and, you know, and so out of touch and with out people. of touch. Yeah. And so here you get like uh, you get Mary, who is like very uppity. Right. And she has like a higher rank. And um, and so, she, you know, there's there's work to separate these. And then we've got um, the Crofts who uh, they have like a naval rank, but it's not the same, even though he's like an admiral, but it's not the same as. Uh, you know, being in the nobility, right? Um, and they're very, and they're like a really unique, you know, they're childless. They have they yeah. live this very unconventional lifestyle, but they're the most warm and friendly and like um, welcoming people. And uh, so, yeah, I think you know Jane Austen does have sort of these like personality type tropes but she like plays with them in a different way i think she's aware of how they all work together and and she's like you know maneuvering them in different ways is jane austen a socialist is that why i love her so much (laughs) i mean she was definitely radical for her time right i I don't know that she would be considered a socialist but she for sure was an abolitionist uh you know she had a lot of yeah she had a lot of really progressive for for the time yeah um ideas but um (sighs) yeah i'm like always finding a new reason to love her yeah and this whole thing about the nuts like captain wentworth's speech it also shows like his own stubbornness his own like him clinging to this idea of like, oh, this is the person I need. You know what I mean? Like he's he yeah. can get he gets a little bit sort of in the same way that he was talking about like women on ships. Like he gets on his high yeah. horse and he's like, oh, this is my grand opinion. But we can tell that it's like a little off. <laughs> yeah, you can and tell it's not like it's it's a little bit of a performance. You know, it's, it's a performance. I was saying it's like yeah. not a deep seated like held belief yeah. that he'll defend to his death. It's more just like 
him spouting off. Right. And, and again, in this instance, you can tell that it's like at a, a kind of a dig at Anne and like his past experience. And so underneath all of that bravado is actually uh, a wound. It's it's that hurt. Yes. It's that vulnerability from uh, from their their break. So. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. This podcast episode is brought to you by Wentworth Nuts. A beautiful, glossy nut, which blessed with original strength, has outlived all the storms of autumn. Not a puncture, not a weak spot anywhere. This nut, while so many of his brethren have fallen and been trodden underfoot, is still in possession of all the happiness that a hazelnut can be supposed capable of. Wentworth, for the finest and most steadfast nuts. Did you uh, have any favorite lines from this week's chapters? Yeah, the ones that I highlighted were, you know, he could not forgive her, but he could not be unfeeling. And then right after that, um, this is, you know, after the the whole carriage thing, it was a reminder of former sentiment. It was an impulse of pure, though unacknowledged friendship. It was a proof of his own warm and amiable heart, which she could not contemplate without emotions so compounded of pleasure and pain that she knew not which prevailed. Oh, so beautiful. Those are amazing. So <laughs> it's like a Taylor Swift song. <laughs> My God. <laughs> I'm a Swifty now. TikTok has indoctrinated me. Um, I, uh, I loved all those lines. I feel like we went over our favorite nut lines, <laughs> a beautiful glossy nut with bless, which blessed with original strength has outlived all the storms of autumn. Um, it does say he was talking with playful solemnity. So he wasn't like super serious. Super serious. Yeah. But still, um, <laughs> And then I kind of touched on this earlier today about like the Admiral and Mrs. Croft and how they ride around the country. And this yeah. is Captain Wentworth said they meant to take what a glor- what glorious weather for the Admiral and my sister. They meant to take a long drive this morning. Perhaps we may hail them from some of these hills. They talked of coming into the side of the country. This is my favorite part. I wonder where upon uh, I wonder whereabouts they will upset today, <laughs> like where their carriage will fall over <laughs> oh it does happen very often i assure you but my sister makes nothing of it she would as soon leave be tossed out as not <laughs> just such a like breath of fresh air the way yeah. he talks about his sister like that you know she's treated like an actual human and not just like the, this delicate creature which is just so lovely what a nice family to like be a part of right <laughs> i know and i love in the beginning where he talks about like why so he's staying with his sister much longer than he anticipated yeah and it was like of course it's because um 
uh, the Musgroves are so friendly and he likes spending time with them. But also it's that his sister and her husband both treat him like a brother, like her husband really cares about him. And they just like have a great time together, the three of them, which makes me so happy. Yeah, it's nice. (sighs) It's like, you know, again, it's the polar opposite of uh, the Elliot's. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Like these people actually like to spend time with each other. They seem to actually communicate and Mm -hmm. talk about what they disagree about with each other, which like Anne is not given that license at all by her family. And Mrs. Croft can tell her brother, it seems like in private or in public when she disagrees with him. And it's like, he takes her seriously and values her opinion. Yeah. Yeah. The difference in values, you know, that the Elliots just value their appearance and rank. And I'm like, the Elliots have no value. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, are you reading or watching or listening to anything else? Um, well, <laughs> we're in the middle of Sister Wives. Sister Wives is back. Oh, my God. And it's intense. It's, uh, oh man. There's been, there's been a divorce or something, right? Christina's leaving. She, uh, yeah, she's officially, I I mean, they're already divorced. This, this season was filmed like a year prior or something or, or maybe a little bit shorter time, but yeah. So this season is following them like in the process. So she's, um, divorcing. They don't have a legal marriage, so they don't even have to file court papers or anything. In the beginning of the season, they hadn't even told anybody yet. Um, They were just kind of like, she was making plans. Cody's dragging his feet, like being a narcissist, like not moving any of his stuff out, not like just like being in total denial and then taking out all of his anger and frustration on his kids and his other wives. And um, yeah, but anyway, she's moving to Utah too. She's not just leaving the marriage. She's leaving the state. She wants to go back to Utah because that's where her other kids are. So she's, she's packing up and leaving. And now at this point in the season, she's told her other sister wife, she's told the family and she's told her youngest daughter mm. truly. And uh, yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, it's real interesting. It's amazing to watch her be like so calm and composed and we're all cheering her on. Cause she's just like, get me out of here oh my gosh she's like so ready um but she's being like so um calm and poised and like she knows how to talk to him and you know he is just all over the place blaming everybody else but himself like uh yeah and just just watching these narcissistic tantrums yeah yeah, I watched the first few episodes of that like 10 years ago or yeah. whenever, when it first started. It was so and long ago. It's it been was so, so long. <laughs> it was so long. And 
it just felt so upsetting to watch. It felt like very, I don't want to say triggering, but it did feel triggering in the oh, yeah. sense that like you're watching these women like go like you can tell that they don't want to do things that they like like I think I watched when they he was getting another wife or yeah, something. The very and it was first just like, se- the very first season uh, is like when they're bringing Robin into he's like courting Robin. She's the fourth wife and he ends up bringing in the n- new wife and he was doing that at the same time that Christine was pregnant. And then she had she when truly was born, they left on a honeymoon for like 11 days and she had a newborn. Yeah, it's been. If you go back and watch the seasons uh, from the beginning, you're like, oh, yeah, this is trouble brewing. Yeah, <laughs> we've been. We, and Cody has gotten a word like in the beginning, you would kind of be like, OK, like it's weird. It's not whatever. But, you know, you keep an open mind and they're saying like, oh, we like it and this is what we chose and this is how we deal with it. But then as the seasons go on, you just like it gets worse and worse and worse. Cody gets yeah. worse and worse and worse. And you're just like, no. And you just start rooting. We're like, leave, leave, leave. Somebody leave. Yeah. These women are too good for this man child. Yeah. I remember watching a little bit of it and just like, you could see the heartbreak on the other women's faces with that. There's going to be like another woman coming in that they all have to share. And they're all like taking it as this, like, this is what I fucking hated about our religion that like there's it like teaches you to do the opposite of what makes you feel good or safe. And that tuition, your own yeah. feelings. Yeah. Cause if they, Hey, if they feel jealousy or something, then it's their problem. They have to go work on it. And like, and it's just like that self-help bullshit I was talking yeah. about, but like on a crazier scale and it just like, breaks my heart to watch them like act like they're fine and they're happy with the situation when they're really, really not. And you can see it in their faces or like when they cry about it. Yeah. And it's like just heartbreaking. And it just reminds me of like all the times where like, you know, you're told like not that like if you're feeling scared about a situation or if someone's upsetting you or bothering you or pushing your boundaries, that that's on you. And that means that you have to like essentially repent and like be more of a doormat until like you don't, until you don't like raise any objections for people steamrolling all over your face. And you can see like, there's just so much about like their faith and religion. Cause their AUB, which is a sect of like fundamentalist uh. Mormon, you know, that practices polygamy, but you know, it's very patriarchal, very much like the man is the leader of the family and, you know, the women don't have any power. Like a lot of times they don't even have like property or things in their name. They also like commit um, f- welfare fraud. They like, you know, mm. they don't have the the dad on the birth certificate so that they can like get government subsidies for like 
you know, because they have so many children and that's like part of the yeah. way that because it's expensive to have that many children. Yeah. Anyway, it's but you can see, too, in this in this last season, too, Christine has talked about how she doesn't believe in the faith anymore. She's like not Love only it. believe in Cody. She's left the religion. She's like, I don't believe in any of this. Like. Yeah. Yeah, um, I love that. It's great. Yes. We love it for her. We're so <laughs> excited for her. And we really want Janelle. Janelle is like supportive of Christine and they're really close. And she's like always defending Christine. And she's also very like matter of fact. She doesn't take shit from Cody. Is that the first wife? That's the second wife. Oh, she's the lawyer. Yeah. She's yeah. yeah, she's the one who's like made had a career and like made lots of money. She's like super smart, like very But didn't she get to have a career because Christine Because Christine watched her took kids care of her yeah. kids. And yeah. I remember her the one when she, that was the one thing that was I was like, oh, that made sense when Janelle was like, hey, I've been able to have a career because I essentially also have a wife right now. Like, and I was like, oh, that is like, that's like the best advertisement for for like polygamy or yeah, that you seem like homeschooled her kids and, um, and Janelle's kids. So, and then Mary only had one kid, one child. Um, Oh, right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Mary's poor Mary. She's in a bad situation, too. Yeah. I want everyone to get free. But you can tell that like her that they're still, you know, it's it's one of those things. Everybody's like, oh, we want them all to leave. But like they're still except for Christine, maybe Janelle. I don't know. But they're still like they're still in the religion there's they still believe like even if their marriage to cody is not a real marriage like they don't have a good relationship it's like they still have to stay because it's part of their faith and like that's how they're gonna get to their celestial kingdom is to, yeah because like, it's your this. whole life and it's a sunk cost policy where yeah you're just like you're getting older and that means like Okay, you've spent like 50 years or so right. like wrapping your whole identity in this. And especially if you're born into it, you have no identity without this group. So right. like what are you going to do? Yeah. And but I the see thing that, that yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, what were you going to say? I was just going to say like one of the most telling things is that all of the adult children, a lot of the kids who started out on the show as like young kids are like adults now. And some of them are married. Um, some of them are not, but they're um, like none of them have continued the lifestyle of polygamy or like continued on in the church in this in the same church that they were a part of. So they're um, yeah, it just it just shows like that they're. Their adult children are choosing because they've seen (laughs) what it is, you know, and Christine's children too. They were like, yeah, when are you going to leave him? (laughs) We leave dad because you guys aren't happy, you know? Yeah. That's what I mean. I think so much about the first generation and our church and just thinking like, I know it's really scary to leave. Yeah. But you're like 50, 60, 70 years old or like getting close to 70 or whatever. 
your kids are grown up. You have grandbabies now. If you leave, you still have a couple decades at least of just like enjoying your time with your grandbabies and like, you know, taking them to baseball games. And, you know, you can have a really great life for the rest of your life instead of just torturing yourself and your family by staying in this awful group. Yeah. So sister wives, that's my sister wives update. Oh, right. Uh, That's how we started talking about that. (laughs) Like, um, I did listen a little bit to the Taylor Swift album, Mm. the new one. Yeah. I, I feel like I like some of her lyrics. Mm hmm. If there was going to be any criticism, which I went to art school, we just criticize things all the time. It doesn't mean like I hate things or whatever. It's just like, it's my love language. Yes. Is, is like dissecting art and music. Yes. Um, I feel like her beats are a little bit boring. And I think it's just because I've been married to a drummer for so long where he like <laughs> complains about songs with like, boring rhythms Uh uh-huh um i just wish like there was like a little bit more texture to the Mm. to the music part of the whole song um because it feels a little bit like she writes a song and she's like really proud of herself for like rhyming different words together Uh uh-huh and that and yeah, and I'm just like, oh, it'd be nice if, yeah, there was like maybe a little, like a few more layers, or it wasn't just like a synth and, uh, you know, an electric drum beat right behind everything. But yeah, I am probably gonna listen to some more, and I also feel like I was just thinking a lot about Bruce Springsteen, where I was like, it feels like she's kind of like in that vein of mm. a musician where they do like kind of similar songs like over and over and over. But like, if you're into that, that's like great. Cause yeah. you just, ha- and I mean, he's also an amazing songwriter. Right. Um, but I but would he argue is that- also an acquired taste. I was yeah. not always a Bruce Springsteen fan either. And yeah. then uh, I lived then for lived over 10 years in New Jersey. And then one day you hear him on the radio and you're like, okay, I get it. I get it. And then you are officially a New Jerseyan and that's how it works. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, she was also reminding me like kind of of like Lilith Fair musicians, like your Sarah McLachlan's, your... Mm. Um, I had an album by this woman, Donna Lewis, that I loved back in the day. Yeah. Um, when you could like buy a, uh, buy a CD for like, I feel like they were like $16 back then. Like they haven't gone down yeah. in price and $16 was so much money. It was. Yeah. I got $5 for working at the pizza company per hour. So that was like more than three hours of work. Yeah. Um, and anyway, uh, I just feel like there are a lot of like s- singer songwriters in the 90s. And I'm glad mm-hmm. that she's bringing that back. And I would also just like really love 
like a Lil's Fair documentary. I I feel like I keep trying to tell as many people as possible about this because I just want it to happen. I want it to be in the ether. Yes. I'm like seeding this idea. I'm like, (laughs) Lil's Fair. Like we have like 18,000 documentaries, not even just on Woodstock, but like Woodstock 99 and everything. And I just like, I'm like, Lil's Fair was amazing. Let's do that. There's so many documentaries now. Taylor Swift has one on just on like individual musicians. They'll do a documentary about like them on tour or them making the next album or whatever. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Lil's Fair would be awesome right yeah especially because i didn't get to go yeah i wanted to go but it was at the same time as church camp always (laughs) (laughs) um i've been reading um louise erdrich's last uh, newest book called the sentence okay i'm holding it up for the camera yes i've heard it's really good oh i like it i've been wanting to read it um, I'm like about halfway through. I've read, read a lot of her novels. I she's written so much. She's yeah. She's fucking like Joyce Carol Oates level writing, I feel like. Um, but what I love about her novels, so she's um it says I'm reading the back cover right now. She's a member of the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa. Yeah. Um, she lives in Minnesota with her daughter. So mm-hmm. and she's also a bookstore owner. Right. Um and she, a lot of her, have you read other novels by her? I think I read one a while ago. I can't remember which one it was, okay. but yeah, I like her. Yeah. Cause a lot of her novels have characters that pop up in other novels. And it's like mm. kind of about like, like, I think based on like old family stories of her. Of, right. So it's like mostly about indigenous people, usually Chippewa, I think that um and just like stories from like maybe her dad's generation yeah but yeah. sometimes it's more contemporary like this novel which is, is set like essentially during the pandemic mm-hmm. um and it's a little bit of a ghost story Ooh. and most of her novels are not um there's not that much like fan like supernatural in them although right. there might be there's so many of them i'm trying now to remember um but it's getting like a little bit scary right now i'm like halfway through and i'm like wait is there a ghost and now i'm a little bit terrified but <laughs> it was just halloween recently so i feel like it's like and christmas is coming up and i like you know there's that whole tradition of ghost stories being told on Christmas Eve that I'm trying to like bring back into my life. You've had a uh, Christmas ghost for the last uh, few years and that, uh, yeah, I I do the whole Victorian haunted Christmas theme. Yeah, we have a, (laughs) it happened by accident one year. Um, We had this little like hanging ghost and, um, for Halloween one year and then it ended up somehow in with the Christmas decorations <laughs> and um when I pulled it up for uh hollow when I pulled it out the next year it had like this big red like Christmas bow like attached to its string and so then I hung it up and I was like look it's a Christmas ghost <laughs> And now we hang it up every year for Christmas and it's Christmas ghost. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's 
I feel like the narrator, it's like hard to tell whether the narrator is fully reliable in this mm. book, which always terrifies me. <laughs> um, and I'm not usually, I usually, if, if it happens early on in the book, you should just stop reading because <laughs> I feel like the like, is the narrator crazy or is something happening or yeah. are they actually evil feels like also too triggering to me for some reason i'm like i can't i'm like i need to know i can trust the narrator please just give me that right. and like um but i'm in it so i'm gonna stay with it also i feel like i trust louise Erdrich. um her last book the night watchman won the pulitzer prize and then i think i first started reading her when the roundhouse came out which was only like I don't know, three or four years ago. I feel like she's been like a more recent just like obsession of mine. Um, but the Roundhouse had won the National Book Award for Fiction. Oh, and this is like my favorite thing to do. I don't know if I've shared this tip before, but like sometimes when I don't know what to read, I look up the New York Times like top 10 books of the year. Yeah. Or like some other like prize, like the Pulitzer or whatever. But I don't look at it for this year. I look at it for like two years ago or five years ago because those like top books that like have won awards are usually like the light. I feel like usually every local library has to buy like 20 copies and they're and really like hard to find people on a waiting list. There's yeah. hundreds of people. But if you come like 18 months later or three years later, no one gives a shit. And yeah. the book, there's like 20 copies. So that's always my go-to when I'm in kind of a rut and I don't know what to read, but I want to read something good. Yeah. Um, and I've like gone through all my friends' recommendations. I just listened to when we were talking about like spooky things and yeah. like Halloween. Like, um, I just listened to the latest episode of You're Wrong About the podcast. Mm. And um, I almost didn't listen to it because it's about um this the story of this plane crash in the Andes and mm. Um, how these people like survived and uh, and it they were like I'm just warning you there's like cannibalism there's survival story stuff there's like really intense stuff but then she was also like it's prefaced it and basically said like um, but it also you know, like the the news reported about the cannibalism and that was like the sensationalist thing but um, what's really at the heart of the story is like the amazing ways that they came together and like survived. And she essentially like assured me that there would be like a good ending. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to stick with this. I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I listened to the episode. A good ending for some, not the ones who were eaten. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and it's not like, I mean, they, they most of those people were killed in the plane crash. Like there was okay. nothing they could they do. It wasn't like killed. Okay. Yeah, they were killed in the plane. So there was, a, it was like, um, there were 45 people on a plane. They were chartering a plane. It was a rugby team uh. and in South America. And they were chartering this plane to go to Argentina or Chile um, for for a game. And um, so it was a, a, the rugby team plus a, a few members of their families and then just other random people who were like on the plane. And then um, 
yeah, it's just it's it's like a crazy story. So some of the people died in the initial plane crash, and then um, some of the people died later when there's like an avalanche. There's like it's it's like a crazy story. And I was on the edge of my seat the whole really? time. I was like, <gasps> I had like work that I had to get done, and I was like, no, I have to know how this ends. It was like so intense, and um, and uh, yeah, I like. I recommend it. It's an okay. It's, I will listen. It's intense to listen to, but it was like, yeah, it really is an amazing story. Like what they went through and how they got through it, and like all of the all of the things that happen. Um, yeah, and it does essentially have happy ish ending. But yeah, I was when you were talking about the the book and like yes spooky <laughs> stuff and needing to know like that you would be taken care of on this journey of the you know the narrator yeah. and everything it reminded me of that yeah. i'm reading uh the last the paragraph about the author on the back of my copy of the sentence mm-hmm. um it, it says you know louise erdrick is the owner of birchbox Birch Bark Books. Yes. A small independent bookstore. And the last line is, a ghost lives in her creaky old house. Nice. <laughs> um, my final note is, uh, you know, it's chilly finally in L.A. right now. I'm drinking and we, I think we were off air last time, but we were talking about how much we love tea. Yeah. Um, And I am drinking so much bengal spice tea Ooh, it's celestial seasonings actually a friend who's a podcaster and a writer recommended this to me it is the best chai tea it's not caffeinated yeah so you can just drink cups and cups and cups of it nice it's so tasty and it's like a little bit sometimes hard to find like, you know, when you're, you have to go to a store that has like a lot of celestial seasonings. Yeah. Um, and they try and always do their other chai teas. Like they get more placement, but Bengal spice, it also isn't, it's like a little bit sweet, but mm-hmm. it doesn't have any sugar or anything in it. I don't know. I'm just like addicted and I'll drink like four cups a day. Nice. So. That I've been I've been tip. drinking um, pumpkin spikes Ruibos from Trader oh. Joe's. <laughs> really I good. bought a lot of that um, because I really liked it last year, and I was worried that I wouldn't get it again. Yeah, um, but I think I might like Bengal spice a little bit more. Mm. Um, I would try it. I do have several boxes of pumpkin spice. Yeah, it's a um, good one. I, also googled how to say it and i think it's rooibos rooibos like r-o-y-b-o-w-s okay because i was saying rooibos for a really long time yeah i always say rooibos or rooibos yeah yes um i guess like every way is technically fine but (laughs) i don't know it's like whatever way you do it i'm just putting it out there because I got an argument with a friend and then we ended up Googling it. (laughs) We were both wrong. (laughs) Okay. So next time is chapter 11 and 12 and we get to find out like, I don't know. I just feel like we just had that romantic moment with Captain Wentworth just lifting up Anne and setting her in a little 
the little um, carriage carriage and what's going to happen next. I'm very excited. <laughs> yes. They might be going to bath soon, though. Oh, no. They go to Lyme before they go to bath. Okay. Well, don't give it all away. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so professional how long have we been doing this i'm like my my bookmark is in the wrong spot